0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We come to it and recognize, as I've said each week and preface to it, that this was the letter that changed, truly changed the history of the world, for it was in the study and the contemplation and the, the truth of this letter in the life of Martin Luther, the Catholic priest and teacher in Wittenberg in 1517 that he began what was known and is known historically as the Protestant Reformation. That it was through the reading of Romans, it was through the study of Galatians that he came and he understood the profound depth of the freedom that has been given to the individual through Christ alone, that it is in Christ alone, by faith alone, in grace alone. That it's through the Scriptures alone that we have this truth. And that all of life, therefore, is lived to the glory of God alone. And history has been different ever since. Because one man, acting on the accord of the Holy Spirit in his life, studied Romans. If you don't think it can change your life, then you're coming with low-level expectations. For if it can change the world through one man, it most assuredly, through your study and the power of the Holy Spirit, can change your life forever. For some of you who are here, it can lead you today to salvation, to know that it is not based on your works, it is not a matter of what you do or don't do, but it's a matter of what Christ has done on your behalf, and you can believe today and be forever changed in your eternity, and the lives of all of those in your life can be changed because of that. And for others of us who have grown sort of weary or warm, lukewarm in our walk, a study of this book can challenge us, can push us forward. You see, Paul writes, he writes these words, and he teaches us what it is that we believe the truth of the gospel, and he teaches us how it is that we are to live in light of that truth and that reality. So today we are going to be looking at what is an extension of Paul's teaching from chapters 1 and 2, and an extension of his teaching in chapters 13 and 14 to love one another. That this theological framework that we have, this understanding of the doctrine that we have, those aren't bad words, by the way, theology, doctrine, your beliefs matter, What he was saying and what he is saying is once you understand these things, they affect every area of your life. Every area of your life. We've already talked that it affects how you view politics, how you view the civil authorities. It affects how you live within the context of the church, how you relate to one another. It affects those things. And Paul continues this extension today in chapter 14 and he says, it affects how you understand the gospel, what you understand about yourself, of your new identity in Christ, what you understand about the identity of those around you who are now new creations in Christ Jesus. If you, when you understand these, it affects how you live together within the context of your differences. Because, folks, if you haven't figured it out, there are differences of opinion within a church. There are. I hear them all the time. (laughs) And we don't know what to do with them. Because you see, we live within a day and an age which says we're no longer, honestly, we've moved beyond being a pluralistic society. A pluralistic society says that you hold one belief and I hold another belief, and we can hold those opposing beliefs in the freedom of holding those beliefs. It doesn't make both beliefs true. And just because I believe something different than you, it doesn't make me filled with hatred and contempt towards you. It makes me hold a different position than you. And unfortunately, within our culture, that is being lost. And sadly, within the church, it's being lost as well. That we can't disagree and still be together. But Paul teaches us today that we can and that we should. We must for the sake of of the gospel. So let us allow the Lord to speak to us through the words of St. Paul, chapter 14 of this great letter to the Romans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you've preserved over all of these years. We sit in humble reliance on your Holy Spirit to teach us through your word, and we sit in humility as we approach the word, not above it, but under it, that it might shape us, not us shape it. So, Father, speak for your people. Listen. This is the word of the Lord. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat everything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he, will be hel- and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or do you, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For your brother is grieved by what you eat. You are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom God, for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. So we're going to look today at a couple of things. How is it that we deal with differences within the church? What's at stake in these interactions when we come to our differences, how are we to treat one another within the midst of these differences? What are what's the new way of thinking, as it were? So the first thing I would say, almost by way of simply introduction, but you could write it as the first point, is this. We have freedom in Christ. The gospel gives us freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Do not return again, therefore, to a yoke of slavery he's saying that in Christ you are free that there are things that have been removed from you that Christ is the fulfillment of the law and what he was saying in that was what happened to Peter when Peter was on the rooftop and the cosmic picnic blanket came down from heaven and it had on it all of the kosher food of the day and Peter looked at it and he heard the voice that said now eat Peter's like I can't eat it's not kosher he heard that whatever enters into the mouth of the the individual does not defile him, but only that which proceeds from the mouth defiles the individual. And he said, now eat. All is clean. Christ was coming and saying, I've fulfilled even the kosher laws. I've fulfilled all of the calendar days. There's no need for all of the days on the calendar any longer within the Jewish holidays. Because Christ said, I've fulfilled those within me. That there is a freedom that comes for you. And that you can enjoy that freedom. But that freedom comes with two caveats, two boundaries. Christ sets us free from being bound to those things, not condemned to the law. But we are never to use our freedom as an excuse to continue in sin or cause another to sin. That we are, we are given freedom, but never allowed to use that freedom for our own sin or to cause someone else to sin. Martin Luther wrote it this way. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to all. He took into account these great truths of, I am free to do and to be, but yet I am bound to serve and to care for the needs of others above myself. So the first thing that we need to understand, and the thing that was wrestling within the church uh, here in Rome, was how do we live out of our freedom? How do we live out of this freedom that we've been given with Christ? You see what they were doing. They were applying the truth of the Gospel into every sphere of life. uh, Of saying, okay, this is going to take a lot of work, but how how does my new relationship with Christ affect what I eat or don't eat? How does my new relationship with Christ affect... How I engage a brother or a sister who's different from me and holds a different position on these non-essential items. They were thinking that through. It took work. It was a certain amount of laborious nature to this. And for most of us within the church, we just as soon not go through that laborious work. We just want Jesus. Just give me Jesus. That's all. I just want Jesus. Well, having Jesus affects you. And it affects every area of your life. The reason that I haven't lost more weight is that I don't feel like making the changes necessary to lose the rest of the (laughs) weight. Plain and simple. It's the same way in our Christian lives. The reason that many people aren't more like Christ is pure laziness. You don't feel like changing. You don't want to go through the task and the work of making a change in your life that might cost you something in order to be more like Christ. You've made a value judgment. And you valued whatever you have now as more important than what you could have in Christ. Uh, The people of Romans weren't allowed to do that. Paul, the great pastor and writer, wrote this letter and he said, Now, I'm going to deal with some things that you need to deal with. We're going to deal with how do you live together with differences. So, first, we all have freedom in Christ. Second thing, another obvious statement, and I realize this, is there are differences within the church. There are differences within the church, and we just have to accept that and recognize that. The differences that Paul was talking about within chapter 14 were differences that were centered around dietary laws. They were laws of whether or not you should eat meat or whether that had possibly been sacrificed to a pagan idol, dedicated to that pagan idol, and then sold within the common marketplace in the butcher shop. Whether you should drink wine that possibly had been dedicated to a pagan god and then sold within the common marketplace whether you should, should practice the Sabbath on a Saturday or on a Sunday, whether you should practice the Jewish holidays. There were these differences that were taking place within the context of the church there in Rome. For the most part, we don't have those same differences. But we do have differences. We have differences that go something like this. Should you drink alcohol at all? Is it right for a Christian to drink or not to drink? Should a Christian ever dance? Is it too sensual? And too much within the culture? Should a worship service have an organ and hymns played in the original manner? Should it have guitars and drums and new songs played? Should it have any instrumentation at all? Should it be only the psalms sung uh, with the rhythmic measure that they were written in and only done with no instruments at all? Is it okay within the church to raise your hands in worship? Is it okay within the church to speak in tongues, to be slain in the spirit? To say amen within the context of a worship service? Should you have a 20 minute sermon or a 40 minute sermon? Should you have red carpet or gray carpet? Should you use real wine or grape juice within the context of the Lord's Supper? Should the Lord's Supper be every week? Should it be once a month? Should it be once a quarter? What kind of bread should we use? You laugh. Heaven forbid I give those little chiclets to you again, the little small pieces of bread. There's all kinds of differences within the church. And we've got to figure out how do we live with these differences? I've traveled around and been in many different contexts with brothers and sisters who I know loved the Lord genuinely, and I will be with them forever. Some of them baptized little babies in a covenant baptism. Some of them didn't believe in that and they said that it only could be through immersion. Some of them truly believed that the power of the Spirit still worked within giftedness and spiritual gifts within the church. And I watched and I saw these things taking place. And what I've learned is simply this. There are differences within the church and the sooner that we come to accept that reality, the better we'll be. So within this church, there were differences. And Paul then identified categories of people who were within these differences. He said they were strong and they were weak. Very interesting language, and somewhat of an offensive language, to say that some are strong and some are weak. And Paul identified himself with the strong. He said, I am strong in that I have a fuller, more mature understanding of the freedom that I've been afforded in Christ Jesus. And the language that he used there was simply saying, I understand that it's okay for me to eat anything that I want to eat. My conscience isn't bothered by eating meat that may or may not have been uh, given to a pagan idol because meat doesn't matter. Meat doesn't make me unclean. That I can drink wine or not drink wine. It doesn't matter to me whether I do those things. Paul was saying, I'm matured in that, that it doesn't bother my conscience at all in that. Those things are important, but they're not essential in the life of the church. And so Paul identifies within a church those who would be strong, if it were. Those who would be more mature in their understanding of the gospel, their understanding of the freedoms that they've been afforded, the liberties that we've been given within the church. It's not a derogatory statement, only an identifying statement. And then Paul differentiates the strong with those that he would call the weak. Another way to think of it would be the mature and the immature. Paul was saying there are others who love the Lord. These are believers who love the Lord. And they do these things from a position of faith, weak faith, but still faith. And he was saying what they understand... And what they don't understand is that they have been afforded these freedoms. That it doesn't really matter what you eat, what you drink, if you do certain things, if you celebrate a holiday or a festival or not. You see, they are identified within this not as a designation of being bad, but simply of being immature or not fully grasping what has been done for them in Christ. You see, the... The fact of the matter with both of these groups, the weak and the strong, is that the intention and the attitude of both groups within their freedom or within their restriction was to honor the Lord. That was their motivation. You see, the weak are honoring the Lord because their actions are generated from faith. Weak faith. Verse 6 says that both of them are honoring the Lord. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats he eats in honor of the Lord, since He gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks and gives thanks to the Lord. You see, neither of these are legalists, and neither of these are licentious. Neither of these have thrown the law altogether out, and neither of these are saying that you have to do these things in order to be saved. But both of them are coming from positions that are saying, "This is what I believe is correct and right in order to honor God. And so before we move on from that, I just want to pause and give you a little caveat. Whatever positions you hold on the various different things, some of that I mentioned and some that I didn't mention, whatever position you hold, do you hold that position from a starting point and a standpoint because it is the best way that you know to honor the Lord? That's got to be the motivation. Within it, of I am going to do this and by doing this, I want to bring honor to the Lord, not shame to another person that by doing this or not doing this, I want to bring honor to the Lord because I want to stand out different within a culture. And in my difference from the culture, I am going to do this in order to bring honor to the Lord, not to say to the culture, you guys stink, you knuckleheads, but to say I'm different. There's something different about being a Christian. and I know I don't have to do this but I will do this. I have friends of mine who are in the ministry. They're not Catholic or Episcopalian, but they wear a clerical collar. They're not bound to do that. They do that only to stand out to say, I'm differentiated from the rest of the folks because I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I wear the collar by conscience. And then at times they don't wear the the collar. But I don't get in arguments with them about whether to wear a collar or not to wear a collar. That I wear what I wear, In a manner that I think brings glory and honor to the Lord. If you want to wear a coat and tie to church, great. If you don't, great. As long as your motivation in both is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. Not show the other person up. So that takes you stepping back for a moment. And asking what's your heart motivation. And you know the only person who can answer that for you is you. You know what you don't have? You do not have an insight into my motivation. You think you do by the way. Oh, hey, kid, you believe? He wore shorts and a tank top to church just to spite me. Really? You were with him this morning and heard him within the private thoughts of his mind when he said, I'm just going to get Bill McCutcheon. I'm just going to really mess with Bill. Of course not. I don't know his motivations. We don't know the motivation of others, but we need to check our own motivations. And why we do certain things or don't do other things. You see, because these differences within the church of the strong and the weak. Both working to honor the Lord. It's a two-way street that we live on. Paul says that we have to give up our rights. And it's both ways. The strong cannot insist that the weak simply get over it. And the weak cannot insist that the strong give up their freedom but both working from a position of mutual willingness to sacrifice even at a cost to themselves. It's a two-way street. And for too many churches and too many of us in our relationships, it's my way or the highway. And that highway is a one-way road, and it's the way that I go, and it's the way that I determine, and it's the way that I say. It's not much of chapter 14 in that position. So Paul says we've been given freedom in Christ Jesus. There are differences within the church given to us in that freedom. So what's at stake? What's at stake for us as we wrestle with this or if we don't get it right? What's at stake for us if we don't get this right within the church? Paul gives three things, and I'll touch on them quickly. The first is this, if we don't get them at stake, if we're not willing, if we don't get them right, we are potentially causing brothers and sisters to stumble in their faith. We're causing them damage to their conscience. Verse 13, 20 and 21 speak of don't become a stumbling block to someone else. He uses this as a language of offense. He's saying be willing to care for somebody else more than you care for even yourself and a willingness to give up your rights in order to highlight the conscience of another person. You don't have to, but you should be compelled to do that. And yes, there is. My father, uh, who was a pastor, used to say, Billy, don't forget, there's a big difference between grumbling and stumbling. doesn't say don't cause someone to grumble. There's plenty of grumbling that goes on. But he says don't cause someone to stumble. If I know that you have an issue with alcohol, that you have a conscious position that says, I don't drink alcohol and I invite you into my home. It is my duty bound not to offer you alcohol or to drink in front of you, even though I have that freedom to do so. I shouldn't do that. If I know that it's something that you hold dear in your life, that you hold and you say, this is something that I believe is right, then it would be wrong for me, even sinful for me to do something that would cause you by conscience to stumble in the midst of that. That there would be a damage that might bind your conscience and cause you some great confusion in the faith. And so I'm willing not to do that for your sake. But Paul then raises the bar a little. He says not only what's at stake is causing someone to stumble, for there's recovery from a stumble. He says, but be careful of causing a person... To fully fall away. Paul's not teaching a new teaching that says you can lose your salvation. But he does seem to indicate. That a person. Because of confusion within these matters. Could even turn their back on the church altogether. And on Christ altogether. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't go further into it. And so I won't. But what I took away from it was simply this. It caused me to pause. To pause again. To say. How right do I have to be? How much am I going to stand to say, but I'm free to do this? Shouldn't I be compelled on the other side to say, though I am free to do this and can exercise this in other places in my life, I will not exercise it and I will not do this in front of you because I do not want to cause you irreparable damage because I love you for the sake of love and the sake of Christ. That's what I'm willing to do. Oh, if we approach matters in that way, Not wanting to cause a person to stumble and never wanting to cause someone to fully fall away. And what's at stake also is not just to the individual, but it's also to the unified witness of the church. We have a witness within a community that looks at us and is asking, what's this gospel all about? And how we live together says something. Sadly, many churches say, oh, we're open to anyone to come to our church. As long as you're white, middle upper class, educated, Republican, pro-life, anti-gay, then you can come and be a part of our church. But if you vote differently from that or you look differently from that or you hold different political positions than I do on that, but yet you claim to be a Christian, I don't really have any place for you. But we're an open church. We want anyone to come just as long as you look Just like us. You see folks, there's something to be said for people who hold differing opinions to come together around the things that are essential. We will never, I want you to hear, I don't want any of you who come from backgrounds of oh no, here he goes, he's starting down that slippery slope and I hear you. My family came, my father came out of the mainline church when it headed down and the very truths of the gospel had been lost. We are not going to lose those and we will never move away from those things. We won't. But we're going to be okay with music style. We're going to be okay with even social issues of a view of government role or not role. We're going to be okay with people being within the church holding different positions, even theologically, uh, on things like predestination and election and baptism and things like that. Dunk or sprinkle. We're going to be okay with that and to come together together. We're going to be together because I believe that being together around the essential tenets of our faith is better than being broken apart. And we can disagree with one another without hating each other. One of my best moments here at the church was after a Sunday when I had preached on the doctrines of grace and they were dealing with God's sovereignty over salvation. A beautiful woman came to me and said, I'm so sorry that I'm going to have to leave the church. And I said, why? You've been here for so long. And she said, because I didn't know that this is what that church held. I don't agree with these things. And I said, would you agree with this? And she said, yes. I said, would you agree with this? And she said, "Yes." I said, would you be okay with this? And I just kind of walked her through uh, some things. And she said, yeah, I, I agree with all of those things. I said, but you would just differentiate here and here. She said, yeah. I said, well, good. I'll see you next Sunday. And she hasn't missed again. Because it's okay for us to have differences. It's okay for us to be together for the sake of Christ. In that, and that we give up our rights to certain things in order to see the most important things. Now I'll end here with this. So what do we do? Okay, we know we've got differences. We have freedom. We have differences. We know what's at stake. So how then are we to treat one another within the context of these differences? Paul gives us a negative and a positive, and then he says, But what you really should do is change your overall viewpoint, your vantage point. The negative or the positive is this accept one another with our differences, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. This is the positive command accept one another with our differences. It's okay to have differences. It's okay to have differences and to accept people with differences within the church. It's okay for us to do that. It's tough, but it's okay. It's really okay, by the way, for people from different backgrounds and different different views on things within the world to come together and to be at the church. And Paul says, accept one another with those differences. But then he even caveats that. Accept one another, welcome them, and don't argue with them. Hey, welcome to Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. How are you? I think you used to be at First Baptist, didn't you? Well, I did. Wow. That means that you believe in believer baptism and I don't believe in believer baptism. We're glad that you're here. But I think I want to argue with you a little bit today about believer baptism. Paul would go, What are you doing? Don't do that. Just accept and say, we're so glad that you're at church today. It could be the person who you think in the community is the worst person you've ever seen or maybe comes from someplace. You're like, what in the world? And they walk in and Paul says, accept them. Invite them in. Get them to know know them enough to know whether they believe in the essential truths of the gospel. And start there. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit on some of the other things. So we accept our differences. And then he says this on the negative side. Don't despise one another. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Basically it's saying this. It's saying to those who are strong, those who say these things just don't matter to me. It's okay whether you raise your hands or don't raise your hands. It's okay whether you go to public education, private education, uh, or you homeschool. It's okay. I, just Those things, they don't bother my conscience by that. And so, But I'm not going to look down on you and go, but it bothers you, poor, pathetic, weak person. One day you'll be as strong as me. One day you'll be like me. You'll be free in Christ. And I look forward to that day. And I'm going to pray for you. That you'll be like that. Paul says no. Don't despise each other that way. But he also says to the weak. Not to look. And to despise the stronger. Of saying to that person. And they call themselves a Christian. And they were hanging out in that institution. Did you know that Bill McCutcheon was at a bar? He drank a beer. He smoked a cigar. What kind of Christian does that? If he was like me. Then then he'd be okay. Paul's saying to both, do not despise one another. Be very careful to cross your arms and go, really? And they say they're a Christian. If you don't think that happens, you're not being honest with your own heart because you've folded your arms that same way. so many times, and so have I. And Paul says, don't do that. And then he says, rather Accept each other, build one another up in your lives and in your relationships, but have a larger view of things. Look beyond the immediate issue. And when you look beyond the immediate issue, you see a couple of things. One, verse 3b, we have been mutually accepted in Christ Jesus. Who am I to judge you who's been accepted by the ultimate judge of the universe? It is the height of arrogance and audacity for me to sit there and judge you in that way. For you have been accepted by Christ, and I've been accepted by Christ. And then he says this, and not only have you been accepted, mutually accepted by Christ, but he says in verse 4 and then 10 and 11 each individual is going to have to give an account to the Lord one day. So that takes an incredible amount of pressure off of me. I don't have to judge you, it's your conscience before the Lord. If you dance or don't dance, raise your hands or don't raise your hands, drink or don't drink, smoke or don't smoke, homeschool or don't homeschool, private education, public education, Christian education, no education, Republican, Democrat, pro-life, not pro-life with caveat, all of these different things. That's not me to judge. I can have my opinion, but at the end of the day, God's going to judge and it's your conscience before him and I can let him do his job and I can do mine. And that's incredibly freeing, folks. Because when I feel like I have to walk out and take care of all y'all, by the way, those of you from not around here, that means everyone, (laughs) I feel like I've got to fix everything that's different about you and make you like me. It means one thing, I'm incredibly prideful that I think I've gotten it all right. And two, it's wearisome. And what I have to do is go, you're going to have to stand before the Lord. And my encouragement to you would simply be this, make sure that what you believe, you believe for the right reasons. That's what Paul says in here. He says, think it through. That's my role. And you've said, Bill, I have. And I come to this conclusion. Great. Your conscience before the Lord, my conscience before the Lord. Let's go out and have dinner together. Let's be together. And then at the end, he says this, we'll all stand on the last day. He says at the last day, the weak and the strong Those who raise their hands and don't. Those who speak in tongues and don't. uh, Those who baptize babies and those who don't. uh, Those who are different in all kinds of different things. Republicans and Democrats are all going to be those who believe in Christ standing on the last day. So we might want to get along on this day and begin to figure that out. Because you know what? I have something to learn from you and your difference. I have something to learn from you. I have something that you can teach me Because you see the same beauty of the gospel and the same Christ from a little different vantage point. And if I humble myself enough and I go, you know what? This is a brother in Christ who's been accepted by God. That they're going to have to stand one day just like me. And that one day we're all going to be made right. I can then enter into a dialogue with you that says, I stand here and hold this position, but I want to learn from you and yours. And it makes both of us stronger. So my hope for us in the church is that we can get to be there. We come to a table today. And it's a table not for strong people. It's a table for weak people. It's a table that was set by an incredibly strong person, Jesus Christ, who said this, I am so strong and I am so powerful that I'm willing to give up my rights and I'm willing to give up my power to come and to be weak So that you could be made strong. This is the table we come to today. Let's pray. Father as we come. We recognize our need of Christ. And we ask that you would bless us. Father you would teach us. And encourage us. More than anything. You would humble us. As we come to this table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.